Welcome to the podcast of Bethel Mennonite Church in Gladys, Virginia. Today's message was originally preached February 26, 2012 by Eli Yoder, and it is entitled, The Essentials for the Journey. back to Bethel, I think uh, a lot of things go through my mind, realize how fast time has moved. Um, I think perhaps our young people sometimes get tired of us saying that, how fast time goes, but uh, someday you'll agree if uh, the Lord tarries. Um, My first visit to this area was 63 years ago, something like that. And I thought it was the most God-forsaken country I'd ever seen. And uh, never realized that someday I'd live here for 38 years. So it brings back a lot of memories. Time has moved on, and uh, here we are. I think Gerald was suggesting I'm old this morning. (laughs) I remember the first time that uh, that bothered me, I, somebody asked me whether I qualify for senior citizens discount, and it angered me. I, I didn't like that. Uh, I kind of like it now. But, uh, I think it was at Ruth Glick's funeral that uh, somebody came up to me and reminded me that when I was youth leader years ago here that I asked the youth, um, what will the Bethel Church be like in 50 years? Thinking about them um, becoming adults and taking responsibility. And here we are. It has been 50 years. Um, And I look over your audience, and I'm not sure I didn't try to count, but in our congregation, uh, over 50% of our people are less than 20 years old. I mean, of attendance, those who attend. And that presents a tremendous challenge to us. I assume that probably something similar to that in your congregation here. What does that mean? Does that mean that every other Sunday we should maybe uh, have a sermon particularly directed toward the children and the young people? Uh, Just what does that mean? Well, it certainly means, I believe, if nothing else, it means that every service, hopefully, that will be something that will bless everyone who comes. History teaches us that unless the next generation assumes responsibility, our Christians, and assume responsibility for the church, the church will die out. My wife and I, we attend a church in the community occasionally when they have special meetings, they invite us to come, and we've gone there, and uh, as far as I know, I don't know the people that well, but far as I know, there's only one child in the congregation that actually belongs there or is a member there. 
And so it's very obvious that in a few years, most of the people are elderly people, in a few years that church will die out unless something changes. And so we're glad for children. We're glad for young people. We need them. They need to be those who rise up and take the challenge of assuming their role in God's great program. I told our congregation, those babies in your lap. You see, 20 years ago, I mean, this, this year will be 20 years since we had our first service over in our area. And that has gone very, very fast. And so I told our congregation that in 20 years, those babies in your lap will be the youth. And the, the young people will be the preachers and Sunday school teachers and uh, school board members and, and all of that in 20 years. Providing, of course, that they follow your faith. And they embrace the faith and commit themselves to uh, serving in the church. <clears throat> or it will die out if it doesn't have young people to follow up. It also can die simply by church becoming what the churches did that we have recorded in Revelation. Become a church like the church of Ephesus that lost the first love. That can happen. Or it can become like some of the other churches that John writes about who had compromised with the things of the world to the point that God said, you need to repent. Or like a church like Sardis had a name that they lived, but they were dead. Or like the Laodicean church who felt like they needed nothing, cold and casual and indifferent. So my question this morning is, what are some essentials, things that are absolutely necessary for, for the next generation to have, to embrace, in order for the church to keep on being a faithful church? What are some of the essentials? That's the title of my message, The Essentials for the Journey. And I get that from uh, a, a scripture in, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 42. And whosoever shall give to drink unto one of these little ones a cup of cold water only in the name of a disciple, verily I say unto you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. As I read the 10th chapter of Matthew and Jesus was sending out the disciples, he was warning them of the dangers that they're going to face, the obstacles they're going to face. And I wondered, now, what does verse 42 have to do with that? Whosoever shall give to drink to one of these little ones a cup of cold water, in the name of the disciples, Verily I say unto you, shall in no wise lose his reward. Jesus said, we're going to, I'm going to send you out as sheep among wolves. That sounds pretty scary. 
But that's the kind of world we face, and that's the kind of world our young people are facing. And as they assume adulthood and enter into adulthood and resume their responsibilities, they're going to face these wolves. It's a dangerous road. So what does verse 42 have to do with that? Uh, I read somewhere that uh, it was something that some people practiced, that they would go to a, uh, a road where a lot of people walked or traveled, with uh, cold water. And they did this in the name of their God. I guess as a way of, of propagating their belief or their faith or whatever. They would go to this road with cold water and as this person comes along who is tired, he's walking, he's traveling, and they offer him cold water in the name of their God. That was to refresh them. That was also to give them the strength to keep on their journey, to make their journey. So what is some of the essentials that our young people are going to have to have to make the journey and to end up at the right place? That's the question. You see, the Bible says and we've heard this many, many times, that we should train up a child in the way he should go so that when he is old, he will not depart from it. So what can we give our young people? What are some essentials that have to be if the church is going to go on? We can say, well, cross-bearing, yes, that's right. We could say uh, humility. We could say uh, commitment. We could say accountability or accepting the scriptures to be the truth and pattering their lives after that. All those things, yes. Excuse me. This morning I'm just going to list three that I think are essentials. First of all, and I think we all would agree with this, that if the church is going to continue on another 50 years, this church, unless the Lord comes back, of course, that this church will be flourishing, there will be uh, true Christians here, the the message will go out to the community, uh, God's work will be going on. These people will have to be born-again Christians have to experience the new birth. You see, one of the problems uh, that we face with children, young people growing up in Christian homes, going to church all their life, going to Sunday school, summer Bible school, hopefully families having their personal time together with the word of God and prayer. It's possible for those young people to know all the right answers. They know what to say, 
But it's also possible for them never to have experienced truly in their own heart a new birth experience. That's a possibility. Getting to the place where the Pharisees were, where they knew the law, probably knew it backwards and forwards, and yet Jesus said that they were zealous of the law but had evil hearts. Their heart had never been changed. And Jesus makes it very clear that unless your righteousness exceeds goes beyond the righteousness of scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no wise enter into the kingdom of heaven. There has to be a new birth. You see, an organization, church can just become an organization, and an organization can last quite a long time simply on performance, simply on entertainment, uh, socializing, uh, that type of thing. And for the church really to be the church, there has to be more than that. There has to be a new birth, born again. Now I know that one of the struggles that parents have, one of the struggles that preachers have, is to determine whether this young person has really had a born-again experience or whether he knows, just knows the right answers. How do you determine that? You don't want to discourage anybody. Yet at the same time, you want people to truly have a born-again experience when they become a part of the church, Jesus Christ. I say that's been uh, something that parents have struggled with probably and preachers have struggled with. One thing I think we need to be careful is, is that to realize that not everybody has the same type of experience. Some have an appall type of experience where it's dramatic, it's instantaneous, it's uh, you know, very, very obvious. It's something has happened, a tremendous change has taken place in this person's life. There's also the people that have a Timothy type experience. That's known from the child, the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise into salvation. Timothy was brought up uh, in a, I'm not sure what his father was, a Greek, but uh, his mother at least and grandmother were Christians and they taught him. And so his experience was a lot different than Paul's, but nevertheless, he was a born again young man. So I think we have to recognize that. My experience may not be the same as your experience, but somewhere along the line, there has to come a point where Jesus Christ becomes Lord of that person's life. That's what Paul said in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, if thou wilt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, he becomes Lord, thou shalt be saved. And of course, one of the obvious things if a person is a truly a born-again Christian is going to be the fruit that comes from that life will show. That's what Jesus said you Learn by the fruit. You look at the fruit. What's the, what's the uh, evidence of this person's life? You can fake it for a while, probably. Sooner or later, it's going to show up what's in the heart will come out. <clears throat> and if the church is going to truly be the church, 
the Bible, the, the Greek term is ekklesia, I think that's up, right, somewhere close. It's the idea of, of uh, <clears throat> the called out ones, those who have become Christians who now gather together. We're called out from the world. We're separate from the world. And we meet together as God's people to reinforce our, our beliefs and encourage each other to fulfill the mission for which God has put us here. God has put you here in Camel County for a, me, for a reason. I hope you realize that. That there are people out there that are watching you. There are people out there that, that are looking for someone to show them what real Christianity is all about. We've had people come to our church who said something like this, that they're tired of this this uh, hypocritical type of thing, you know, come together and everything looks fine and we hug each other and we go out the door and, and they live differently during the week. They want something real. <clears throat> Excuse me. They want something that, that is real. <clears throat> so the church, the local church, is a place where we gather together as God's people, born-again believers, to encourage each other. We love God and love God's truth. So the next generation, if this church is going to, to, to truly be the church of Jesus Christ, the next generation who assumes the responsibility must be born again believers. And so we have an obligation to help those, the next generation to come to that point where they surrender their life to Jesus Christ and he is Lord of their life. Which means that all of life is under his direction. Lord. Secondly, I think one of the essentials is holiness. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, that without holiness, no one shall see the Lord. Holiness. And holiness has the idea of separation. It's been set apart for something special. Holiness. Separated from the world, but separated unto God. Some people uh, are satisfied just to be separate from the world. That's not enough. Be separated unto God. Holiness. Has to be that inner separation where something has taken place in our hearts. And uh, affects all of life. Affects the way we live at home. Affects the way we do our job. Affects the way we relate to our Neighbors in our community. Affects all of life. Holiness. And I believe that holiness is uh, based, our concept of holiness, is based on our understanding of the holiness of God. God is a holy God. 
I know we've said that many times probably. But the Bible says, be ye holy for I am holy. And that's the challenge to us. Be holy because I am holy. We represent Jesus Christ. We are to be that, so that people see us, they get a reflection of Jesus. How did Jesus say it? Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Holiness. I'm convinced that one of the reasons for the shallow and the indifferent, casual attitude toward Christianity is because of a shallow understanding of the holiness of God. God is holy. You see, when men came face to face with the fact that God is a holy God, it changed their view of themselves. Thank you. See what's wrong with it this morning. <clears throat> Isaiah, when he came face to face with this holy God, he said, Woe is me. Something has to happen with me. God is holy, and I'm here in God's presence. Moses, when he met God in the desert, it changed his whole view. Before I get the impression that that Moses had tried in his own strength to do lead the children of out uh, of Israel out, or at least make some difference in their life. But when he saw God, he said, "I can't do it. I'm not able. I'm just a human being." I say when we come face to face with the Holy God, it changes our view of ourselves. Peter, when he saw Jesus, that Jesus was more than just a human, normal human being, he said, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. That's what happens when we sense the holiness of God. It affects how we live. It affects how we worship. I suppose if somebody would have asked you this morning why you come to church, probably say, well, we come to worship God. Really? God is a holy God. And we just don't just come casually. We don't just come any old way. We recognize that we have come together as a group of born-again believers to worship a holy God. A God that's holy. And this place, even though it's just a building, but this place becomes a special place when God's people Born-again believers have gathered together to worship a holy God. This becomes a special place. I doubt very seriously 
that Moses allowed little uh, Gershom and Eliezer to play uh, ring around the rosy around that bush. This is a holy place. I told our congregation that one of the problems we have, maybe you don't have it here, but one of the problems we have is the fact that our school is in the church building. And the question is, how can we convey to the next generation about the holiness of God? And the fact, and I, you know, it makes sense that uh, that building is not used for anything else during the week, so it only makes sense to have school there, financially. But one of the problems is that when church is over, I get the impression that the children kind of feel like now it's recess time. And I don't think they respect the fact that this building is dedicated to the worship of a holy God. How do we maintain the attitude of holiness? When we collectively come together and we say we came to meet with a holy God, ought to bring a reverence and an awe and a respect to this place. So the next generation needs to embrace the fact that God is a holy God and he demands, he asks of us to be live holy lives. That's essential if the church is going to continue on and be a holy church. <clears throat> In the third place, <clears throat> I think one of the essentials, if our young people are going to make the journey and come out at the right place, is to have understanding of what it means to have a pure heart. Because my Bible says, only the pure in heart, Jesus said, shall see God. Those who have pure hearts. The psalmist said, Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart. So if the church is going to be the church, it's going to be need to have people that are made up of people who have a pure heart. Moral purity is very foundational for society because it affects home life. It affects, and home life affects the nation. You've heard that our homes, I mean, our churches are made up of homes, and how the church is is because how the homes are, and that affects our nation as well. <clears throat> Parents, let me tell you this. We've been responsible of bringing children into an X-rated world.
If you have your eyes open, you know that. Moral, morals in our world is falling apart. And we have brought children into this kind of world. Now the question is, how can we help them to make it through this kind of world without being swallowed up, affected by all the filth and devastation in this world? How can we help our young people through that? I think we have a tremendous responsibility in that because the church of Jesus Christ is going to continue on. It's going to be because of some people with heart purity. I read in the paper recently where there's a group, and I'm not sure what they were called anymore, but they're out to try to establish sex education in our public school system. And it said what their goals are. Their goals are by the time that a child in second grade, he should know certain things. By the time he's through high school, he should have accepted the fact that there's various uh, types of lifestyle and accept that homosexuality and all of that is, is, is fine. Uh, and, and it's very obvious it's very contrary to what the scripture says and what God planned somebody said that 90% of young people who have attended who attend public school system today never uh, enter the church So it's important for us to rightly teach and exemplify what heart purity is all about. Not only to teach it, but to show it in everyday life. If you study the fall of nations, history of nations who have fallen, immorality is one of the things that brought nations down. I think that probably one of the first steps, one of the things that we need to teach our, the next generation is this thing of reserve. Reserve. Reserve means a keeping action until it's appropriate time. Reserve. Careful. In our world, immora immorality is so... Uh, prevalent that innocence has been lost in children far too quickly. And uh, <clears throat> to understand God's purpose and plan for marriage and the family needs to come gradually with maturity as they mature and are able to grasp the information. Now, uh, I've told young people, you don't have to be prudes, you don't have to be icebergs, but there needs to be reserve. If you're going to make it. Because you know, as well as I do, that, that this thing of immorality has a tremendous pull and you have all the influences of the world to contend with. 
unless you're strong, unless you're determined to live holy lives and pure lives, you'll be swept away and affected by the society in which we live. No, we don't have to be icebergs, but we do need to recognize and help our young people to recognize and understand that too free familiarity opens a way to unhealthy and sinful behavior that has destroyed many lives and destroyed many homes. And it's critical, I think, for our young people to understand that, to pass that on. They have to have that. It's one of the essentials if they're going to make it. That's why, and I don't know if you have any dating young people here or not, I, I, don't, I don't know. I didn't ask anybody. But I say that's why it's so important for young people to sit down before they begin this dating thing and decide some things, set some standards for purity. Because once you get involved and, you know, you, your emotions get uh, involved, it's hard to think straight. <clears throat> I was involved in a wedding. This couple wasn't from our church. But this couple, I admired them because they had set the standard of uh, no touching. Now, that's a pretty high standard. Uh, no touching, no physical contact in a courtship. Now, I was at the rehearsal just before the wedding, the night before the wedding. And the photographer was there, and he was taking pictures, and he said to the young man, he said, okay, kiss the bride, or the bride-to-be. I said, no way. They said, our first kiss will not be in public. I say, I admired them for that. I think some Mennonite young people could take some lessons. Because physical contact does make it difficult. Why? You could ask, why? Why do it anyway? I mean, why? So, well, to show love. Usually, I think, you examine it closely, it's self-love. Because you love yourself. It does something for you. I'd like to ask young people this question. Now, they could come and they'd say, well, how did you conduct your courtship? And I would have to admit that it wasn't always uh, maybe exactly the way it should have been. Praise God that I have no regrets, but uh, we could have probably done better. Uh, but uh, why have, why touch? Uh, ask him the question, okay, is it all right for your dad to shake hands with another woman? Is that all right? Uh, yeah, I think so. Well, is it all right if you keep on holding hands walking around with this woman? I mean, is that all right? Probably said, no, dad, that's, why not? Well, she's not your wife. Okay. 
uh, is it all right if uh, he sits beside another woman? Yeah, probably. Some of you are. I think maybe I'm not sure. I didn't look. Well, what about if he just sits there and puts his arm around her? Would that be all right? Yeah, no, Dad, that's going too far. That uh, wouldn't be right. Why not? Well, she's not your wife. Well, listen, why is it all right when you do it and she's not your wife? Why is it all right for you to do it and not all right for Dad to do it? Well, we're getting down, I suppose, some people say you're stomping on toes now, you're getting too technical. But I'm just calling for heart purity. I'm not sure, I'm not saying where you should draw the line, but I think you recognize, all of us recognize that the further down that road we go, the more difficult it becomes. But I think this morning, whenever we talk about uh, this type of thing, there are people that have gotten caught in the devil's traps. Trap of immorality. I don't think it's fair for us to talk about that without ending up saying that the fact that heart purity can be re... What's the right word? Reestablished. You can be made pure again. Oh, yes, there'll be scars, of course. But that's God's business. Titus, we just went through the book of Titus in our Sunday school lesson, and it says God was purifying unto himself a people, making them pure. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, I believe, the, he listed all these sins, and he said that such were some of you. You were some of these immoral people, but he's sanctified you, he's cleansed you, he's washed you. Praise God. There's an answer. Can be made pure. Paul said, in my past life, I hurt a lot of people, but God has changed his heart and made him pure. Peter said, in the past, we lived unholy lives, but now... He's made us holy. Thank God. There can be hope. There's hope. It comes by repentance. It comes by finding God's forgiveness. It comes by forgiving the person who may have wronged you. Praise God that we can be made pure again. Practical purity, when we live pure lives, is because of heart purity, because something has happened in our hearts, changed our hearts. My question to us this morning are we equipping the next generation take up this, their place in the church of Jesus Christ so that the church can go on and be faithful when Jesus comes? Parents, church at Bethel, you have a great responsibility. These young people, these children, in a few years, the Lord tarries will need to take their role in leading the church. Will they be equipped? That's the question. Have we given the, them the essentials, the things that have to be 
in order for them to faithfully do that. Will the church at Bethel, one of their hallmarks be a church that's filled with Christian people that live it out in everyday life? People who live holy lives, people who live pure lives. That's my question. May we together seek to do our part. First of all, to exemplify it, show it, and then to share it, to teach it. You've been listening to The Essentials for the Journey, a message by Eli Yoder. This podcast is brought to you from the Bethel Mennonite Church in Gladys, Virginia. You can find us online at BethelMennoniteOnline.org. Thanks for listening.